You all can have a seat, and it's so good to see you all and to be here uh, worshiping together. I um, just want to thank our worship team. Um, as I often say, when I'm not a part of the worship team, it's just a joy um, to be able to sing with the congregation and to be um, a part um, of that element. And um, today was especially awesome because um, my daughter was just reading the words off the back and singing. She's just getting to that point where she can read, um, and she's reading along and, and catching the words that she didn't know before. Um, such a joy to raise kids in the Lord. That has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> Church, I want to ask you, what are you confident about? In what do you find confidence? Do you find it in yourself? Do you find it in your country? Do you find it in your work? Do you find it in your politics? Do you find it in your faith? What are you confident about? Today we're going to be talking a little bit about confidence and in what we can find confidence in most specifically we're going to be in John chapter 14, and we've been in John chapter 14 for a couple weeks now. We're going to be in John chapter 14 for another couple weeks. John chapter 14, and I will just add 15 and 16 and 17, are some of the most dense scripture. And so we are covering it uh, suitably, I think. We're in John chapter 14. We're starting in verse 7 today. I'm going to read this for us. Hear the word of the Lord. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and still do you do not know? Sorry, I'm going to read that again because I messed it up. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Friends, I want to just tell you that Jesus is provoking a hard discussion here. He is aware of what he's doing, and it is on purpose. Because he knows that the disciples need this lesson. They need to hear what he has to say here. And church, I want to tell you, so do you. So do I. We also need to hear what Jesus has to say here. They, the disciples, are already troubled in heart. We've been talking about that for three weeks now. They're realizing that they will soon be departed from Jesus, who they have spent the last three years with, day and night. 
The disciples are wondering, what's next for us? What are we going to do? They're troubled. We might be in a similar place. We might be wondering, what is it like to trust in Jesus when he's not physically there with us, just like they were trying to figure that out? We may find ourselves wishing we could experience more. Anybody? We may find ourselves wishing, wondering how it's possible that we could experience something different, something better, something, like I just said, more. For some of us, we tell ourselves that if we could just have an experience of the Lord, that it would be easier to believe, that it would be easier somehow to follow if only we could have that experience. We say, if I could just see with my eyes the Lord, you know, like Moses did in the burning bush. In Exodus 33, when he heard from the Lord, right, to see with our eyes and hear with our ears, we say if we could experience that, faith would be so much easier. Or maybe we yearn for an experience like Moses and the elders did in Exodus 24 when they are swept into the throne room of God. Surely then I could live a holy life. Or like Isaiah in chapter 6 where he has a vision where he too is swept into the throne room of God. Or like Elijah did on the mountain in 1 Kings 19 when the wind and the earthquake and the fire came. And then the Lord spoke out of a whisper. Quiet, but at least it was the voice of God. We are a people who crave an experience and believe that by somehow that experience, faith might be easier, that it might be simpler, that we might be more committed if just we could experience that thing which we long for. Church, I believe this goes back to the beginning. Back to the beginning, back to Genesis, where we picture Adam and Eve walking with God. Where we picture an intimacy with the Lord that is unbound by sin. And we believe that if we could have such an experience, faith, belief, might just be easier. Jesus is getting ready to leave. His disciples are figuring this out. They recognize this. And they too are beginning to have the same kind of craving for an experience. And we have a lot to learn along with them. Amen? Church, we have three lessons for today out of this passage that we're going to look at as we explore this. And I want to dive right into them. I want to move right forward. The first lesson is that seeing is not always believing. Seeing is not always believing. In verse 7, Jesus says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. 
From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus is continuing the idea of knowing that he began just before this. Just before this, he talked about knowing the way to God, knowing the way. The disciples were confused by that, to which Jesus then responds, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is leading this conversation to a point that they need. And he leads that. He says that you know me, therefore you also know the Father and see the Father. And this prompts Philip now to make an outlandish request. There he is. All the disciples are there. Peter is already kind of sitting where he sits, so he's not saying anything stupid anymore. Because he's hurt, because he recognizes that he's about to betray Jesus. Jesus told him that. Now you got Philip making outlandish requests. What does he say, verse 8? Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And there's a part of us that hears that and says, amen. Right? It's not that hard. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, after all, Jesus was just saying, if you see me, you'll see the Father. But Philip is asking for something impossible. He is asking for something beyond what Jesus is talking about. He's asking to get to see with his own eyes God the Father. He believes that if he would see, that he will believe he is under the impression that seeing is believing, something that you and I are often mistaken of. He's under the impression that if he could just get that sight of God, have that experience, have a special revelation that others were not privy to, that belief would be easy. He's under that impression, but we got to recognize that Jesus is not. Jesus says to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip. Jesus says to him, I've been with you, we've been together so long, and you still don't know me. Friends, Jesus looks to Philip, he reminds him that this is not how it works. Pay attention to these words. Have I been with you so long and still you do not know me? Jesus is saying, Philip, you have been seeing me with your eyes for three years and you still don't get it. You've been seeing all this time and you still don't see me for who I am. You've seen me. You've seen what I've done. You've heard what I've said. And despite all this seeing and this hearing, you still don't believe. Jesus is saying that seeing is not always believing. And this is uh, what the Bible teaches. This is what we see all the way through. We go back to Elijah and Mount Carmel in 1 Kings chapter 18. Elijah sees one of the most amazing miracles to date. He performs that miracle by the power of God and the Holy Spirit working through him. Fire comes out of the sky and burns up the offerings that he brings after he douses them with water. 
Then Elijah, standing alone, kills hundreds of the prophets of false gods by himself. And right after that, what we read about Elijah is that he is driven to the mountains in despair. Because he can't hear. Because he doesn't see the Lord. Literally, Elijah has just seen one of the greatest things that's ever happened. And he's still going, Lord, where are you? We go back to the Exodus. As God rescues his people from Israel with the plagues, then as the waters are parted and the nation of Israel walks through them on dry land, every one of them experienced this. They then saw a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fight by uh, of light of wow, a pillar of fire. <laughs> I word well sometimes. They see this cloud by day and this pillar of fire by night that leads them and guides them and guards them, and yet they still doubt whether or not God will provide for them and protect them. I would argue that Scripture teaches us not only that seeing is not always believing, but that perhaps seeing is never believing. And we are not unlike Elijah. We are not unlike the people of God, and we are not unlike Philip in John chapter 14, convinced that if we would just see with our eyes, then belief would be easy. But we have seen. We have seen. We have seen friends and loved ones saved by the power of the gospel, people that we might never have believed possible to come to the Lord. Even when we look at our own lives, what we see are people who by their own means never could or would have come to the gospel, who are saved. We have literally seen dead people come alive. We have seen prayers answered, specifically. We have experienced the love of Jesus in our hearts and in our minds. We have known forgiveness of our sins. We have found peace when no earthly peace was possible. Thinking about this, uh, just say, some time ago, I, I and a few of us were praying for something specific. I don't remember what that was now. But I remember very clearly that the Lord answered it very specifically. And I remember saying that I think this is an answer to prayer. To which Zane Patterson, he said, no, Matt, this is an answer to prayer. <laughs> A well-timed and loving and needed gentle rebuke. We are a people who can see and yet still not believe. Seeing and even experiencing is not always believing. Friends, we can know something even without actually believing it. Look at Philip here. He knows Jesus, and he still doesn't believe. When the truth lives in our heads, but not in our hearts, our hands, or our feet. Right? Because belief is meant to be lived. It is an outward thing. It starts here and goes. 
For many of us, maybe even all of us, for the people of this world, seeing is so often believing. But for the Christian, we must be about perceiving. Perceiving. And that leads me to the second lesson that we see in this passage. And that is perceiving is believing. Seeing is not always believing, but perceiving is believing. Verse 9 Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and still do and still you do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Now let me just point out, we just got done saying that seeing is not believing. And here Jesus says, no, you do need to see. You do need to see. But this is a different kind of seeing. This is a different kind of seeing that Jesus is talking about. We can see with our eyes, right? We all know that, I hope. We can also see with our mind. And no, I do not mean some kind of weird, out-of-body, third-eye, new-agey kind of thing. The word for seen here in Greek is the word orao, okay? And what it means is to perceive what we see. You actually see it used again when Peter and John discover Jesus' empty tomb. And what it tells us is that Peter sees with his eyes. He sees the empty tomb. He sees the grave clothes that are folded up and sitting there. But he wonders. He doesn't know what's going on. But John sees it and he understands what took place. That's what we see here. Jesus is saying it needs to go beyond sight to actually perceiving what's going on here. Because perception is what is needed for faith. Perception is what is needed for believing. On this, pastor and writer James Montgomery Boyce tells us that Philip asks for a demonstration. But Jesus knows he does not need a demonstration. He needs apprehension. He needs to get it. And right now, he doesn't get it. Friends, this right here is one of the gifts that we are given by Jesus. This is a gift. That we would be people who would perceive and not just see. Imagine what it would be if faith required seeing. Where would we be? Did you see Jesus today? Did you see Jesus yesterday? How about the day before? How about the day before that? I don't know about you, but I have never seen Jesus with my eyes. Faith comes in when we begin to perceive who Jesus is. And it leads us to belief. This is a message to the disciples here. Think about this. They're, he's about to leave. They're about to be absent from God for the first time in three years. What are they going to do if they have to rely on what they've relied on for the last three years? They're going to fall away and disappear. It's interesting that that's actually kind of what they do 
for a little bit after the resurrection. They all go back to their old jobs and their own lives. Jesus finds Peter fishing again. And then he sends them out. The gift that we are given is that perception is required, not seeing. When it comes to belief, to perceive who Jesus actually is, because for most of us, we will not get that experience. That isn't to say we won't. Some of us have. We have seen theophanies where Jesus has appeared to us either in a dream or in voice or in some specific way, or we have heard the voice of God. Amen, if it happens to you. But that is not what we all experience. Some of us are left wondering, why them and not me? Meanwhile, we're missing the fact that Jesus has given us the greatest gift, and that's the perception, the faith, the belief. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that our faith is his gift to us. Jesus actually tells us, he tells Thomas, after the resurrection, that it is better to believe without seeing than to see. Which means that if you are someone who has believed and has had faith without one of those experiences, friend, you are blessed beyond those of us who have. Because you perceive something that, that God knew required my eyes to see or my ears to hear. It's a gift to you. Be encouraged. Can we perceive who Jesus is? And by doing so, perceive who the Father is. Because that's where all this lands, isn't it, in this passage? See, the perception begins with knowing who Jesus is. And by perceiving who Jesus is, we perceive in faith and belief, who the Father is. And that's Jesus' whole point here. He's saying to his disciples, I have been with you, but I won't be. You will have good perception of me. Now you need to have good perception of the Father. You need to see, you need to see the Father through me. And this is where, friends, we get our third lesson today, and that is confidence in believing. Where do we find the confidence in believing? We see this in verses 10 through 11. Jesus says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus is saying here that you have a confidence to believe and perceive in me the Father and to do so rightly. This is kind of like a tripod that he gives us. I was thinking about a tripod. A tripod, right, holds a camera or anything else that you want to hold up. In a tripod, you have three firm legs that give you a solid stance. You can picture the one right there. The thing about a tripod is that you may buy a tripod for $50 and put a $5,000 camera on it. Why? Because tripods are stable. 
The three things we see here, the tripod that leads us to confidence and believing, the, the three are first, words. The second is works. Now that's God's works through Christ. And the third is character. That's God's character seen in Christ. We have words, we have works, and we have character. And we're going to handle each one of these separately. First, what we see here is Jesus points to words. He says in verse 10, this is the second half of that verse, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Jesus says, the words that I speak, the words that I have spoken, the words that I will keep speaking, they declare who Jesus is. When you think about Jesus, what you should think about is someone who confidently declared over and over again who he was. So many self-declarations of Jesus. From the one he made just a few verses ago when he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. To the other I am statements, which we mentioned last week and which will get mentioned again in a couple weeks, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. And in John 10, 30, you see Jesus' most bold declaration, I and the Father am one. When you look at Jesus' words, he is confidently proclaiming who he is. Let his words give you the confidence to perceive who he really is and through him to perceive the Father. For if the things that Jesus says are true, then we have seen the Father as we see, as we perceive him. Those are the red letter words in our Bibles, right? The things Jesus said out loud. We all know that, though, I hope you do know, that the rest of God's word is also Jesus' word. John 1. He is the word, <laughs> right? Scripture is written about him, and Scripture is written for him, and Scripture is written, do you know? By him. So when Jesus talks about his words, he of course is talking about those red letters in those old Bibles that you may have, or the new ones. But he's also talking about all the word. And how often did the disciples, did the apostles, even Christ himself, use all of Scripture to demonstrate who he was and what he came to do? You can picture Jesus on the road to Emmaus at the end of Luke, explaining through the Scriptures the events that had to take place. You find Philip on the road with the Ethiopian eunuch, teaches on who Jesus is and what must take place based on what book? the book of Isaiah. Stephen reasoned and preached Jesus as the fulfillment of Israel before he was killed for what he believed. The apostle Paul reasoned from all of scripture who Jesus was. Many are those, church, who have been transformed by the diligent and committed reading of the Bible. The reason for that is because the Bible leads us to a true perception of who Jesus is. If you are a Christian who does not read their Bible, you are missing out. 
you are missing out. For the scriptures tell us who Jesus is. They give us that perception in a world that would tell us that Jesus is anything but what the scriptures teach us. Over the years, there have even been those who went to scripture to dismiss it and in unbelief who walked away changed by it. Imagine what it's like for one who approaches Scripture, believing that God will speak to them and show them who Christ is. How much more powerful that would be. I believe if we lack confidence in Christ, and through Him lack confidence in the Father, it is because we do not spend enough time in the Word of God. Let me say that again. If you lack confidence in Jesus Christ, if you lack confidence in the Father, if you lack confidence in your walk with Jesus, it is because you do not spend enough time in the Word of God. There's words. The first leg of the tripod. What's the next one? It's works. The works. Miracles and signs, first off. Jesus did literally countless miracles. Things that could only be done by one with the power of God or through the power of God. Jesus said, this goes back to his words, I am the bread of life. And then what did he do? He literally gave food to thousands of people from one boy's lunch. Can you do that? Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. His words. And then he spent his life seeking the lost and lonely sheep who had gone astray, and he spent his death actually rescuing them. Jesus healed. Jesus forgave sins. Jesus erased guilt and shame. He cast out demons. A clear demonstration of the power of God over anything and everything. In all of this, in all of these works that he did, don't even amount to what this passage is pointing us to truly. For when Jesus points out the works that are being done, what he's doing is looking forward even just a few hours to his betrayal and his death. To the truest work of God in and through Jesus Christ in the giving of his son because of his love for this world. We look at Jesus' death and resurrection as the ultimate working of God. Jesus says, look at my words. They are the same words as the Father. Jesus says, look at my works. They are the same works as my Father. Redemption through the body and blood of Jesus required for the salvation of all who would be brought to belief. Jesus' work on the cross is the truest fulfillment of God, for no other could do that work. You can't. I can't. There has never been another who could do that work. It required God. And in the end, 
through all of that to prove that what Jesus was doing wasn't just another man dying in vain, what happened? God brought him back to life. A proof, Romans chapter 1 verse 4, a proof that he was God. A proof that he was the one who he said he was. And that you can trust not only his words, but also his works. Confidence, friends. Confidence. And if his words, and if his works are not enough for you, the good news is that there's a tripod. There's one more. That's the character. The character of God in Christ Jesus. For in Jesus, we see the character and nature of God. Verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? He says, the words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. We don't usually think about it this way, but the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit mutually dwell e with each other. Where Jesus was, the Spirit was, and so too, what do we learn here? The Father was too. Where the Father is, there is the, there is the Son, and there is the Holy Spirit. Where the Holy Spirit is, there is the Father, and there is the Son. Friends, I want to be really clear on something here. This is the mutual indwelling of the Father, and the Spirit and the Son. The Spirit's not mentioned in this passage, but we see that in other places. The mutual indwelling, the love, the, the bond that they share. Friends, if you do not believe that Jesus was the Son of God, then please do not ever speak about him either being good or being humble. If you are not convinced that Jesus is the Son of God, do not ever speak of his goodness. Do not ever speak of his care or his gentleness, for if he is not, then the claims that he makes is that of insanity. Jesus claims to be God. And if he is not, then he is not humble. And he is not good. In Christ we see God's nature. We see his character. The good news in this for most of us is that that means that that corrects our false views of God. I grew up with the idea that the God of the Old Testament was different than the God of the New Testament. Right? That somehow like God changed between the old and the new. It was fed mostly by uh, false ideas that the God of the Old Testament is full of justice and wrath, and the God of the New Testament is full of love and compassion. That is a false view. But if we would be people who would perceive that what we see in Jesus is what we should see of God, then it opens the door. It opens the door to see God correctly. For none of us have ever seen God, but we have seen in perception Jesus. So we perceive, 
We look at Jesus and we see the God who compassionately clothed his shameful creation after the fall. We look at Jesus and see the God who gracefully promised to take on the punishment for sin when he first made a covenant with Abraham. We look to Jesus and see the God who rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. We look to Jesus and see the God who lovingly provided for the needs of the people of God in the wilderness. We look to Jesus and see the God who powerfully crumbled the walls of Jericho to win the battle without Israel losing a single life. We look to Jesus and see the God who justly judged the sin and evil of false worship and the sharing out of glory reserved only for God. We look to Jesus and see the God who faithfully kept his promises over and over again. I've come to realize that one of my favorite sayings and phrases when I'm preaching is this, that we could do this all day. We could. There is so much that we could just keep marching through. Because when we look at Jesus, and then we open up the pages of the Old Testament, what we see is a loving and compassionate and just God all the way through. What we see in Jesus is who God is. And so, yes, too, we see Jesus turning tables, pulling out a whip, and taking care of business. What we see in Jesus is God. It is his character. Do you perceive that? Do you perceive that when we think of Jesus, we are thinking of God? That when we think of Jesus being worthy of our worship and our adoration and the lives that we give because he gave us his life, that we are not just thinking of Jesus, but God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit as well. Church, do you perceive who God really is by looking at Jesus? Do you believe confidently? Do you believe confidently through the words, the works, and the character of Jesus that you too know God, that you too can go beyond maybe possibly thinking and wondering if you know God, but actually knowing him because Jesus has revealed him. Jesus has shown us who he is. Do you believe with confidence that the Father is perceived only through the Son. And church, will you confess your faith, your belief and hope in Jesus to be saved and to follow him every day of your life because of that confidence? Church, will this give you confidence? Even when you don't see it, even when you don't hear it, even when you're not having that experience to trust that Jesus is there because Jesus is God and God is omnipresent. He's with us. He is God with us. Will you have confidence in Jesus today?
Not in yourself, not in your own understanding, not in any of the experiences that we might hope for, but in Jesus, in Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, as we come before your word today, Lord, I pray that you would give us that confidence, Lord, that we are not capable of on our own. I pray, Lord God, that as we approach your word, that we would see you, see you working, see you speaking, calling out to us. Lord, I do pray that if there's anyone in this room right now who has not placed their confidence in you, given you their trust for their life to save you or to save them, to be saved by you, Lord, that today would be that day. God, I pray that your spirit would work in us such a way that, that it would confirm in us the work that you're already doing and rescue us today. God, I thank you. We thank you, Lord, and we come before you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.